afraid that, uh, as Philip kind of alluded to, we, we get kind of an Easter hangover. And I'm going to tell you, last Sunday is as high as you can get. It was so wonderful. But you know, we're not the first ones to face that. I was reminded, and I flipped over in the book of John, after the Lord's resurrection, and man, he showed himself. Uh, much like today, somebody like Peter said, I'm going fishing, and all the rest of them said, well, I'm going to go too. So uh, we kind of resemble that this morning. But the wonderful news is Jesus came to them where they were and reached them even in those days. Let me uh, put in one other little plug this morning. Uh, tonight, Ryan's going to be preaching. Looking forward to that. Uh, next Sunday night, our VBS uh, prep, uh, we're going to go through the mini rally and uh, hear the songs and get everybody signed up and be ready for that. But then the following Sunday night, it's not just going to be your typical heart association type CPR. It's going to be a spiritual-based model, and it is a friends and family CPR. We're not only blessed with police officers, but we have first responders, paramedics, and others, and uh, we're headed into the summer months. Uh, I was reading something the other day that talked about just in the state of Florida, uh, they have over on average, over 20 drowning deaths of toddlers every year. Uh, these are little things that uh, this, this CPR uh, is going to be. We're going to go through Scripture and apply this, but uh, it's, it's, not going, it's not the heart association in-depth where you get the card and all this, but it will be a true trained CPR for friends and family. So if you know, we had somebody fall out here, someone at your home, you're in Walmart, you'll be able to render aid. Coy is leading that up, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful night. All of us need this. You never know. You never know uh, what you're going to face wherever you may be. Many of us have ran up on wrecks. We have seen injuries and other things will We'll be talking about not just the CPR. We're going to be going into some first aid and stuff, and we may add another Sunday night during the summer. So uh, don't forget that uh, on uh, April 22nd, Sunday night, April 22nd at 6 o'clock as well. This morning, I want us to turn back to Ecclesiastes and jump right back in to the laboratory of life. As we look at what the preacher said uh, over these chapters. We are reminded this morning, and this, this whole book is, is like a science lab where he puts forth a hypothesis. And he says, I think this may be better than God and all of that God talk and all the other things. And the truth is, in our life, we often whether we write it down or say it out loud, we literally do this. We literally go off. We get, we get 16, we say, I'm going to try this to bring me fulfillment. We get 22 and we say, I'm going to go with this crowd and this will give me fulfillment. We get to be 28 and 33 and we say, I'm going to work, I'm going to get a bunch of money and I'm going to buy a bunch of things and I'm going to do stuff and that's going to give me fulfillment. And then we say, we're going to have children, we're going to have grandchildren, 
That's going to bring me fulfillment. And then we say, I'm going to build up and amass this wealth, and I'm going to buy a vacation home, and I'm going to buy all these other toys, and that's going to bring me fulfillment. Solomon, over and over and over and over again, throughout this book, comes to a conclusion, and he says, everything this side of glory is vanity. And not only is it vain, but it is vexation of spirit. Not only will it not feel that God-sized hole in you, but it will block out the blessings that God has for your life. And so he reaches several conclusions as he goes through. The first chapter, and I'm not going to ask you, but I'm going to implore you again as I did at the beginning, if you have not read through this book, you literally can go home, eat lunch, get a nap, and still read this entire book before you come back tonight. And if you don't come back tonight, you really don't have an excuse. Go home and read the book of Ecclesiastes. Read it. Read it verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. I'm going to tell you something. You may come in next week and be able to school me on it if you will delve into the truths that are in Ecclesiastes. This is as practical a book as anything else in this Bible for our day-to-day living. There are three kinds of days that every person has. Let's start in the middle. There is the average day. The day where we get up, we go to work, we're retired, we drink our coffee, read the paper, you know, do our honeydews or whatever, run around, do that, do this, go home, watch our shows, you know, eat our regular meals, even eat a bowl of ice cream, go to bed. No big whoop. I mean, it wasn't high of highs, it wasn't low of lows, it was just a day. Y'all, that's the average, right? Just average day. And then there is the hard days. The days where we get news we didn't anticipate. There is the days of fear and dread. There's the days of anger. There's the hard days. There's the days where it seems like nothing you can do works. Nothing. I mean, you burnt the toast. So you went to get cereal and realized you're out of milk or the milk done spoiled. And so you say, I'll just pick up a McDonald's McGriddle on the way. Why anybody would go to McDonald's is beyond me. But you decide you're going to do that only to find out your tire's low. And you got to stop. And you stop and get gas. You stop to air it up because you don't have an air compressor and you got to hurry and you stop and you realize you don't have any quarters and then you have to go inside and now you're already running late and you get to McDonald's and nobody showed up for work and there's one person running the entire store and they give you a uh, McMuffin instead of a McGriddle and they didn't even put bacon on it. Those kind of days. Just, I mean, from the start. From the start, everything Seems to go haywire. But then there's the third day. The third day is like last week. The third day is like the Lord's day. 
when he arose and the fullness of joy. I mean, can you imagine? Can you just for a second take a deep breath and imagine the awestruck wonder and glory and beauty? And and, and this word seems not to be able to escape me. The sheer light that burst forth on creation on that blessed resurrection morn. Now that's the day that God intends for us to live in every day. Not clicking our heels and we made a pile of money and we hit the walk-off home run and everything goes right. That's not going to happen. Can I tell you, I'm dressed for the masters today. You know, I'm I'm ready. Uh, Somebody's going to walk away from there brokenhearted today. Somebody's going to possibly change their life, especially if it's in that first group. But one of them two is going to walk off defeated. They're going to stick a microphone and they're going to make it, not excuses, but they'll say, oh, you know, I hit hit my irons a little thin today and pulled a few putts, really putted well. If you putted well, it would have went in, Tiger. I've used all those excuses. Somebody's going to walk off and after the camera goes off and they leave Butler Cabin and they go back to their hotel or get on their private jet or whatever, they're absolutely going to go back and play every shot in their head. And think if I, and I'm not talking about from today. I'm talking about all week. I'm talking about practice. Why didn't I practice more on this chip that I caught a little thin? Why didn't I practice more on my putting? Why did I do? They're going to walk away completely and utterly defeated. There was one guy, and I'm not going to give you a golf lesson, but there was a British Open one time whose the guy's name lives in infamy. Worse than Greg Norman's collapse, worse than Jordan Spieth's collapse. Jean Vandeveld entered the 18th hole on the last day of the Open, the greatest golf tournament. Believe it or not, even being from Georgia, the greatest golf tournament, oldest golf tournament in the world, leading this thing by miles. All he had to do is double bogey a wide open par five, and he hit it into the water, and instead of taking his drop, they went back. They went back after this thing several years, after he had come off his medication and all this stuff, and he took a putter. He took a putter 500 something yards and putted as hard as he, and he double bogeyed the hole with a putter. He could have won the British Open with just a putter instead of what he did because he just went brain dead. He didn't think it through. He didn't take a deep breath. Well, I'm going to tell you, a lot of us are living our life every day on the verge of victory. God has got victory sprawled out in front of us and we're brain dead. We're not listening, we're not thinking, we're not responding. Back in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verse 3, he said, What profit? What good? Why? What profit has a man of everything he does, all of his labor, which he takes under the sun? Now remember, he puts it in perspective. God's eternal, and he's God. He is sovereign above all things. He is Lord Creator. Over the universe, nothing greater, nothing higher, as Philip was talking about, that right hand. But you know what? The one on that center throne, 
is the one that gives the right to the right. He's the one that separates the sheep from the goats. He's the one that only one that can separate the wheat from the tares. He's the only one standing at the end that has the authority to issue the ultimate judgment. That's God. Our God. The God the world has tried to put in a box, tried to deny, tried to confuse. Here's the, here's the deal. Are we going to live in just this monotonous rat race? Living in the ruts of life where every day is just another day. Are we going to live continually defeated and beat down and let this world, uh, I'm going to be real transparent with you. I woke up at six something this morning and if you know me at all, that don't happen. And I woke up with the worst fear and dread. It was like this cloud entered my room. I literally prayed. I said, God, if this is you, wake Becky up so we can talk about this. Confirm it with my wife. If not, because I I trust and believe your word says that fear is not of you. I believe that. And in the face of that fear, Lord, I need you. Can I tell you? There was no great breakthrough at that moment. There was no great breakthrough. It was just the fear of the unknown. And so Satan started playing on my emotions. Satan started saying, oh, something's going to happen here. Something's going to happen there. Something's going And all this. And, and listen, he don't know. He's not God. But what I do know is God does. God does know. And I belong to him. He's mine. I'm his. Forever. Because of the precious blood of the Lamb that we worshipped last Sunday and we are worshipping today. And so you come to the conclusion, either life is a waste or, as we're going to see today, it truly is a beautiful life. That's a beautiful life. How do you, I mean, I spent, I could have went for days trying to pick out the perfect slide for this. You know, some, that's your beautiful life. Sitting on the beach, sun's coming up, sun's going down. Coffee's got to be involved. Bottom line, amen, see. It's got to be involved. Personally, if I'm putting that up there, I've got a picture of a golf course. My favorite golf course. Looking back down 18 at the, at the turn. Or I'm sitting there when the sun's coming up in the woods hunting a turkey. Or I'm not on the ocean, I'm on a lake. Usually with Steve Smith. And we, we hooking hogs. That's a, that's a beautiful life, right? But you know, sometimes the beautiful life it's when you sit down at home like yesterday and it's pouring down rain. Just gushing. And the old dog's laid out on the floor asleep. The TV is turned down so low that you almost can't hear it because of the rain. 
And there's a good cup of coffee. And you ain't got nowhere to go and nothing to do. And your family's safe and everything. And it's just a beautiful life. And you relax and enjoy who you are in Christ. You see, it's not necessarily the location or the situation. It's the Savior who makes life worth living. Did y'all hear what I just said? Because I'm going to tell you something. When we grasp this, suicide rates will go down. Anxiety levels will go down. Fear will be trampled under the foot of the only one who can do something about it. Crime rates will go down. Abortion will go down. Divorce will go down. It's just the truth. Look with me in chapter 3. It is a beautiful, beautiful life. Last week, as we looked through the first eight verses, we saw there's a time and a season to everything. Well, now in verse 9, he said, reiterating verse 3 of chapter 1, what profit? But now he's not saying it in an empty tone, asking the question. He is asking it rhetorically because he's going to answer it. What profit hath he that works in that wherein he laboreth? What profit is there in everything we do? I'm glad you asked. I have seen the travail. I have seen the brokenhearted. I have seen all the misery. I have seen all this heaviness. Which God hath given to the sons of man to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Now isn't that odd that he says that which he has seen, the travail that God hath given, is beautiful in its time. Also, he has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Can I tell you, I just read probably the most in-depth, deep theological verses of all the Old Testament. Let's read it again. Verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also... He has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat. Amen, Kibo? I'm with he. And drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God does, it shall be forever. Hallelujah! Look over at that cross. Now stare at that cross when I read this again so you can get this. It is the gift of God and I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. The cross is empty. The tomb is still empty. Really? That's what makes life beautiful. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before Him. Man, I want you to walk away from here. 
I pray, if you don't walk away from here victorious, I pray you're under such conviction to trust God to give you the victory that you so desperately yearn for. First of all, I want you to look with me at verse 10, that life is a beautiful gift from God. It's a beautiful gift from God. He said back in verse 10, I've seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. You see, this gift of life is only given by God. We have come up with the idea, especially in the 20th and into the first of the 21st century, that life is on demand. It's like cable. It's like movie. I mean, I've, my brother-in-law came a couple days this week, and uh, it drives him crazy that we don't have that thing on satellite where you can pause stuff and back it up. I say, you know what, if I can't catch it when it came through, I don't need to see it. Well, you know, you can record this, you can back it up, and you, know, you can stop everything. Listen, I don't have time for what I got now, much less having to back up and replay it. I mean, it's like we're trying to live this quantum leap type idea. Because in real life, when we're done here today, we'll never regather it. We'll never recapture this moment. We'll either sit here and worship the Lord or we'll waste it. It's up to us. You see, life is unexplainable. We just need to accept it. Accept the life God has given you. I mean, in your heart, tell me, don't raise your hand or anything like that because I'll be honest, there's some times I've thought, man, it would have been so cool to be born like in the early 40s uh, uh, late 40s, maybe at the end of World War II, and to grow up where a good used car was a 57 Chevrolet, you know, in the days where drag racing is coming out. And listen, before we had slaughtered everything and had to restock everything, you could hunt anything, anywhere, anytime. They weren't all the fences, they weren't all that, they were still quail. That's not God's plan. God's plan was for me to be born on October 11th, 1964 to Aubrey and Betty Brady. God didn't intend for me to be born in a different land, under a different name, with different family. God has set my life in order. It is unexplainable. I can't explain everything that goes on in my life. I can't even explain osmosis and photosynthesis. But I know it happens. We've got, we had honeybees got in the wall of our house this past week, swarming. The way we found out, Ethan went to go into his restroom. There's 30, 40 bees in his, bed, in his restroom coming through the vent. Went outside coming around a hose bit. And I'm like, man, we got to do something about it. But here's the deal. I sat out there on the back porch, and I watched one land. And Bex said, we got to do something about these bees. I said, you understand? See all those pretty flowers and stuff? It's because of them. But they are because of God. Think about this. 
What did Jesus say in reference to this? God said it to Job. God said it to Moses. God said it to David. And through Jesus, he told his disciples and all the others, he said, hey, he doesn't say, would you look at Ben? Now, I thank God Ben's here today and, and recovering well. And man, we was worried about him for a while, wasn't we? We're glad you're here. But you know, God doesn't say, hey, Matt, look at Ben. Look what I've created. Look at the, the marvel. Now, he says all of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. But you know what he said? Consider the lilies. Consider the lilies. What does he say about those flowers? He said they don't work. They don't toil. They don't sow. They don't spin cotton. They just grow. God, over and over and over, we know the scripture in Romans where he tells us that we can look at nature and know there's a God so that we are without excuse. How many of you ever just look out there at that sunset like on that first slide? So how can anybody deny there's a God? I'll never forget when Emily and Ethan were born. Our doctor, godly doctor, and, and they're born, and, and, and she had to get a picture holding them. She's cheesing, you know, with the babies. and She hands them back to me, and looking at me, I level, because she played track and field for North Carolina State. She looks at me and she says, how can anybody? She looks at my children. She hands them back and she says, how can anybody deny there's a God? How? Consider the lily. He said, look at nature. Look at a tree. Look at a tree that grows. If you, if you remember a tree from your childhood. Anybody had special trees from your childhood? You may have a special tree. Deborah's had a special tree. I, Trey had a special I had a special tree in our backyard growing up. And it wasn't about that big when I was a little boy. And then it got about, it was an oak tree. It got about that big. And big enough it had some limbs and stuff so much so that Art climbed up in it and fell on Chris, broke his leg. I mean, it was a good tree. I was like, hey. You know, I run in. Hey, Mama. Our fellow Chris broke his leg. <laughs> you know, until I had to take care of him. That tree continued to grow. Continued to grow. It is so amazing, and I've mentioned this before, to watch when they clear out something. Or let's, let's say a house that's been built. It's been there for 150 years. And under the name of progress or whatever, they push it out. They bulldoze it or it burns or whatever reason and it's gone. And their plans fall through to rebuild and so it just sits there. And within three to five years, their saplings growing that tall. Where sun had not penetrated for 100 years. And now it's taking itself back. Grass is growing, weeds, flowers are blooming out there that were planted 150 years ago and that seed had laid dormant in the ground. God is in control. Consider the lilies. Life is unexplainable. Just accept it. You can't fix everything. There's going to be travail. There's problems because we are sinners. God's holy. 
And life is worth living. If we will see the beautiful gift, it, he said it's unexplainable. But it's also unescapable or inescapable. We just need to exercise it. He said, and I didn't say exercise in it. Even though some of us, it would behoove us to do some. He said it profiteth little. He didn't say it profiteth nothing. But he says, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. God has given us a life, placed it within us, and intends for us to live the life God has set forth for us. You know who the most miserable person on the earth is? You know who the absolute most miserable person on the earth is? It's not the lost person. No, sir. The lost person, they're miserable, they just don't know it. The most miserable person on the earth is the person who is born again, living outside the will of God. Who knows God has a plan for their life, but they're not exercising it. They're not exercising it. There's joy in the Lord. So much so that James said that we can even count it all joy when we go through travail. When we go through all types of temptations and trials, we can have joy. It was joy that David prayed. God restore unto him in his salvation. Not happiness, not the temporal fleeting fulfillment of this world, but Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. This beautiful gift, listen, it's unescapable. It's there. It's staring us in the face when we get up. The Holy Spirit's screaming, trust Him, trust Him, trust me with your life. There's a reason Jesus is sitting right there beside His Heavenly Father. It's to make intercession for us. And yet He sits there waiting. Because we won't pray. We try to work it out ourselves. Well, if I'll just work harder. I've bought into that lie before. If I'll just be quiet and not ever say anything, do anything, just mind my own business. I'll let the younger folk take care of all that. We, I, 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 you know, I've done my time in the nursery. Let somebody else do it. Let somebody else teach. Let somebody else work with the youth. Exercise what God's given you. God's given you something. And it's a gift. It's the greatest gift of all. Look, do this with me. Little, let's exercise it right here. Y'all ready? We're going to do this. You ready? Breathe in. Breathe out. You just exercised it. You did. Isn't life a gift? Isn't life a gift? Isn't it precious? We say, oh yeah, it's precious. Hey, go to the doctor and get a terminal terminal disease. Let, let them give you bad news and see how precious it becomes. Life's a gift. A beautiful gift from God. But it's a beautiful moment. It's a moment in eternity. 
Look at verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. In whose time? His time. Also he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Now when he says set the world, that word world in the Hebrew literally means eternity. He has set eternity in our hearts. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said in the first eight verses of this book, as we begin to try to understand what does profit man, he said in verse 1 through 8, we need to look above that God's over all time. But in verses 9 through 14, we need to look within that God is there speaking. And we need to understand it's a beautiful moment in history and that this life is short. We need to face it. Eli, I remember my 13th birthday party. I do crystal clear right now. I remember my 13th birthday party because I became a teenager. I remember. I remember what I got. How many of you remember what you got for your 13th birthday? I got a Mossberg bolt action 410. Looks like a rifle, one long stock, put two down, not an external magazine, two in, internal magazine, one in chamber. Three shot, 410 Mossberg bolt action. Got that? And a Rolling Stone album. Amen. Don't get all spiritual on me over, don't, don't try that with me. It was probably their best album they ever did. Oh, and lest I forget, probably the greatest album ever. Leonard Skinner, live, One More from the Road, filmed at the Fox Theater. Come on, Trey Price. Amen, that's right. You may be ordained. You say amen right there. Miss Leonard Skinner, come on. Listen, life is short. We need to fa- 13 years old. But can I tell you, Eli, it's like a blink. Now, I've worked days in construction where it was 98 degrees, the wind wasn't blowing, it wasn't raining, it wasn't no cloud in the sky, and I thought I would die. And those eight hours were three weeks long. Y'all ever had a day like that? I've had people say, how's your day? I said, it's been a week. They said, it's Monday. I know. It's been a week. All day. It's been a week. Days that seemed like it would never end. And then... You see, that's my 13th. I've now celebrated both of my children's 13th birthdays. And Lord's willing, this fall, my youngest will go off to college. Time flies, doesn't it? Time flies. Life's short. Life's short. See, in my head, I see my dad as a 45-year-old. Even now. See, my dad is 45 with dark hair. Life's short. We need to face it. Not run from it. Don't stick your head in the sand. Listen, this, I'm not trying to make you sad. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand life's beautiful. Face life head on 
full steam ahead because God is already there limiting the blessing. Solomon is looking back over his life and said, I wasted it. I wasted it just like the prodigal. I wasted it on riotous living. The difference is the prodigal woke up while he was still young. Breaks my heart. Listen to me, church. You don't know what breaks a pastor's heart. Hear me now. I'm not joking. Hear what breaks a pastor's heart. What absolutely, without equivocation, breaks my heart is to see somebody come and profess their faith in Jesus Christ, tell the world the Lord had saved them, be obedient in believers' baptism, and in six months or two years or five years, they ease out, and I can see the handwriting on the wall, and within a year, they've went from every service to two services a, 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 a week to two services a month to two services a quarter to gone. And the world swallows them up. And they start chasing that fleeting happiness that cannot bring fulfillment. Life's short. And then they wake up one day and they stare in the mirror and say, man, I look bad. Yes, yeah, sin has a way of doing that. Sin will age you. Sin will kill you. And life's too short to waste a single moment on it. God has a plan. Do you know that? Do you think God, these people that believe in open theology, this absolute heresy, to think God doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow because we have a free will, and so he's, He can't know, that's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. I don't care who Pinnock was, or who Boyd is, or any of the other so-called... You ain't much of a theologian when you discount the authority of a holy God. But they would say, God doesn't know. Or we have a whole world religion that believes in theistic evolution. Oh yeah, God created it. But God took his hands on it, off of it, and it's just evolving, and it's all on us. I got news for you. He said in verse 11, He hath made how much? Everything beautiful in whose time? His time. Also, He has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work. Does that sound like man's in control to you? Life's short. Face it in context. Okay? In context. Live in the context of your life. Everybody's not going to be rich. Everybody's not going to live to be 100 years old. Everybody's not going to avoid all the problems of life. Some people look at us and say, I don't know how they live through all that. I'm going to tell you something. God's got a plan for your life. Live it. Encourage others, but live your life. Be what God wants you to be. Not your best life now based on how good you are, but on the fact of how bad you are. Trust Jesus. God has a plan. You see, it's not just... The fact we need to face how short it is in its context. But God has a plan to trust it. This is when we put it in perspective. My life with respect to an eternal God. We may seem like just a blip on a screen. We're God's blip. 
God's never lost one. Amen? God knows us by name. I met a man one time. I was deer hunting. I was about 21. I take an opening week off of work. Hunted on Saturday. Went to church on Sunday. Me and my buddy both took all week long off from work. And so Monday morning we hunted. We got through hunting. We were looking at a map. We didn't have smartphones. We didn't even have cell phones. And so we sure didn't have Google Maps. And if you wanted to topo something, you had to just about go to some national organization or something and try to get something like that. So we just looking at how land laid and all this, we said, hey, there's this little pig trail over here. Why don't we go down that? It may be a shortcut through to where we want to hunt, and we'll go down there and hunt. I had a big old jacked up 71 Chevrolet four-wheel drive. Nice, man. It's bad. Just humor me. I'm, I'm relishing those moments. But as I pulled down this pig trail, we got to where there's ruts that deep. My truck was bad, but it wasn't that bad. Either that or I was so poor I didn't want to pay to have it fixed. So I stopped, and me and my buddy, I said, let's get out, walk, and see if we can get around it, what we need to do. We got out of the truck. We'd walk no further than here to those first sets of doors, and this old man come around the curve walking up this pig trail. Middle of nowhere. I'm like, this is, and I thought I heard banjos playing for a minute. And now I know how many's watched Deliverance. He's got overhauls on. Pretty warm. You know, Georgia, October, you never know. Those shirts unbuttoned. He's in his 70s. And he just, Looks about tuckered out. He comes dragging up through there. And he said, my truck's stuck. Can you pull me out? And I'm looking at him. I look at them ruts. And I look at my jacked up 8-inch 1538 mudder, bad to the bone Chevrolet truck. And I'm thinking, if I won't even take my, what is he driving? that he could go through this and get stuck. And I said, yeah, I'll I'll try. Now, the reason I'm telling you all that, he had 14 children. 14 children. I talked to his wife later, and she started down the list. You know, O'Neill and Raynell, you know, I don't know what all their names were, but... They had 14 kids, and they were all still living at this time. The reason I know that is I told him I'd pull him out. So I walked back from right there to right here. My truck was facing this this way, and he's sitting down over there, and he sat down just like this. Y'all see me? He sat down, the road kind of curved up, and he sat down on his heels like a catcher. I can't do it. I'm not that flexible. He sat down like this right here. Man, sweat pouring off of him. He'd try to get that truck out. 
I walked around my truck, the old style. You couldn't just do it inside. We locked the hubs. I locked the hubs. And as I was locking the hub on the driver's side, I heard my friend say, Hey, are you okay? And I peered around the front of my truck, and that old man had laid back just like this. And he did this. Y'all laugh and think he went to sleep, don't you? He didn't go to sleep. Because by the time I got to him, he did that one more time. And when he breathed out, he breathed his last. He had a heart attack on me right there in the middle of those woods. Never met him in my life. Never met him. Turns out, he was a patriarch of Paulding County. He brought the first 11 Wisconsin deer, drove his old 40-something model farm truck, him and his brother-in-law, drove it from Georgia to Wisconsin. I don't want to drive my wife's Yukon that far. He drove that old truck to Wisconsin, bought 11 deer. I don't have 11. He bought 11 deer. They bought 11 deer, brought them back, and stocked them in Paulding County. He killed the first legally tagged deer in Paulding County, and that six-pointer hung on his wall. The reason I know that is I met his wife two weeks later. I went and picked her up and drove her down to that spot. She was an old farm girl. She had a long wool skirt on about this long, and she had knee socks pulled up, and she had brogans. Now, for y'all, millennials, that's like women's boots that you work in, not for style. I brought a step stool. My mama said, you need to take a step stool. That, that old woman ain't going to be able to get up in your truck. I said, Mom, I can't get down in there without my truck. She said, well, take this step stool. I took that old step stool. I brought it out there for her. She said, oh, I don't need it. She reached up and grabbed Bam! She's up in that truck before I could get up in there. She said, you know, that morning I knew my husband was going to meet the Lord. She said, see, we've been believers a long time. She said, we've had a lot of hard days. And she started calling out Raynell and O'Nell and Unell and all them names. She said, all our kids are still living. She said, it's really been a blessed life. She said, that morning when I got up, he said, I'm going hunting. Told me where he was going. She said, and God spoke to me just as clear as day. Said, tell him you love him because he's not coming back. Now, whether all that, you know, I don't know. I believe God comforts us. But what I do know is through faith and through their testimony that her and her husband trusted the Lord. They raised their children in the Lord. God has a plan. I couldn't understand. Listen, what does a 21-year-old do when he's got somebody who's died in the middle of the woods? When you're 21 and tough, let somebody die on you. You'll start believing there's wolves, there are grizzly bears, and there's every kind of wild yeti lives in the Paulding Forest of Georgia. 
Because you're thinking, I'm going to go, I'm going to get the police, they're going to come in, and, and he's not going to be there. And I'm going to have imagined all this. And then I'm thinking, I hope that's the case. But then I check his pulse again. I said, no, he's still going to be here unless they, some dog drags him off. And then I'm thinking, what's the police going to think? So we had to get the game warden, the ambulance, the detectives. Everybody had to come. And you know what? When they all got there, he was still dead. And I helped load him up, put him in the back of the game warden's truck, take him out, put him in the ambulance. God has a plan. Yours may be in the middle of the hunting woods. Yours may be laying at home in the bed. But one thing, when we put it in perspective, this is a beautiful moment in the midst of all eternity. She said that morning when God spoke to that, she said, I believe it was the most beautiful sunrise I've ever seen. She said, I got up and as the sun rose, she said, she said I know you're going to think I'm crazy and that I'm just old. She said, but I promise before God, I believe I could see angels back over that hill. I'd like to believe she could. You see, this is a beautiful moment in eternity. But then, today's beautiful. You said, but it's cold. Someone put it the other day, said, so are we not doing spring? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, come on. I, I, I'm ready for 80 degrees every day. And, and if you don't like that, something's wrong with you. Move to Alaska. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I like it hot. Uh, I like it better. But every day, whether it's 32 degrees, whether it's Celsius, Fahrenheit, whether it's 82 degrees, whatever it is, it's a beautiful day. God has given us. Wouldn't you agree? Solomon said it's a beautiful day. You too said it's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. He said in verse 12, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life. He's not telling us to live hedonistically. He's not telling us to just live and get all the gusto we can get. He says life is a gift. Be thankful. You're here today not because of something you've done, but because of who he is. Life's a gift. Be thankful. Are you thankful? Eli, I'm thankful for you, son. Thankful for your faithfulness, what you did this morning. I'm thankful for you, Philip, Timmy, Stephen, uh, not Stephen, Stacy. Stephen, I'm thankful for him too. Milligan, Elena, Michelle, everybody, uh, uh, everyone who runs the sound equipment, everyone who runs the computers. Everyone who locks the doors, picks up chairs, puts down chairs. I'm thankful for you today. And I tell you that because I don't know. I don't know that I'm going to have another chance. I want you to know. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my life right now. Right now. Thankful for my life where I live. Thankful for that. But more than anything, 
I'm thankful that in knowing in this moment, being temporal and being just a vapor, that bubble that we talked about several weeks ago that bursts, that leaves no residue there, this life is that. But who is inside of me? What we heard this morning, it sits on that throne. Listen, he's the one that's going to call me home because who I am is eternal. And because of that, he said, enjoy the good of all of their labor. It's a gift of God. Life is a gift. Be thankful. We need to enjoy life. Enjoy it. If it's golf, enjoy it. I mean, if you don't enjoy it and it costs you every time because you're slinging clubs, then quit. Do something else. If, if you get discouraged and despondent and you get mad every time you go hunting and you never do then do something else. But what you do, enjoy in the Lord, not in the flesh. I ain't talking about clubbing. I'm not talking about that stuff that gives you a temporal high, but you're looking for your next fix. I'm not talking just about drugs. Some of us are hooked on prestige. We're hooked on popularity. We're hooked on our little cliques. We're hooked on the things that the world says we're supposed to do when we're 24 years old. When we're 36 years old. When we're 65 years old. I'm going to tell you, God has given you life. And that life's a gift. We need to enjoy it. But life has a purpose. See, I just don't believe I have a purpose. You do have a purpose. Listen to me, grandmamas, granddaddies, hear me now. Hear me well. Senior adults who are not grandparents. So there's no you. I don't know why I'm even here. Satan is, is perpetrating this lie on our senior adults. You know I've said this before. I'm going to tell you again, and I'll probably tell you again pretty soon. If God was done with you, you wouldn't be here. I don't think you heard me. God was done with you. You would not be here. God has a plan for your life. You are a role model for your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor's children, those kids that you see around, other adults your age. You are an example. God's got you living in the moment so that you can show His purpose in your life. Be faithful. Be faithful. Engage what God has given you. But finally, life is precious. Life is precious. He said, I know that whatsoever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God does it that men should fear before Him. This is not a slave master fear. It's a reverential fear of loving submission. We ought to embrace the preciousness that is life, and want to serve Him with great gladness in our life. Listen, the old Puritan pastor Thomas Watson said, Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the godless is a night that has no sunrise. Which day are you living in? As they come to the instruments, Sunrise or sunset? There's an old hymn called A Beautiful Life. And it says, life's evening sun 
is sinking low. A few more days and I must go to meet the deeds that I have done where there is no setting sun. It's a beautiful life in Christ. Solomon waited too long to enjoy it. Will you? Today is your opportunity to come and give your life to Him. Say, Lord, I'm lost. I'm going to go to hell. I'm faking it. I'm trying to fake it till I make it, but I'm not going to make it without Jesus. I need you to save me, to wash me white as snow. Lord, I'm saved, but Lord, I've been trying to fill up all that, that gap in my life with the world. I'm not living for you. And Lord, I'm afraid I'm going to wake up one day and that moment's going to have gone by. Lord, I need the joy in my life. You need to join at Eastside. Be everything God wants you to be in this community of believers. Whatever you need to do, you need to be baptized, you've been saved. Whatever you need to do, be obedient. Live today. It's a beautiful life. But you're not promised tomorrow. Embrace it. Engage it. Be thankful for it. Stand and come. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus.